right now, though, uh, it is a great, great privilege because last week we started awe, and, and I have gotten into a relationship with a man, it's a healthy relationship, that <laughs> has been going on for five and a half years, and almost every week, um, for every Tuesday, every week, for five, five and a half years, I've met this man. He's become uh, my best friend, my buddy. Um, he is a partner in crime. He's the, the senior pastor of Northern Colorado Cowboy Church on 80, just up on 85. And I tell you what, I've had an, an opportunity to speak there a couple of times. Uh, but under the leadership of this man and their team, God is doing some incredible things there. So if you ever need a looking to go to a church, that's a good church to go to. Um, I've been there many times, and, and I love the heart of what's going on up there. But I've been working on this man for a while to get here to come and speak. Uh, but he's here. He's here today. I can't believe he's here. And I'm so excited because the anointing that he brings when he teaches is something fresh and something very new. He's not me. He's way better looking, way smarter, and he can beat me up. So you're in for something incredible today because the anointing on Pastor Darren Glory Corner is very, very uh, thick. And so it's an honor to have you come up and share the message of whatever God has for you. So can we give Pastor Darren a, a, a welcome? Wow. Wow. What an honor, guys. Thank you so much for um, having me in today. And even if you didn't know you was having me in today, then thank you for having me in. Uh, With that, like Aaron said, we've been meeting um, five and a half years. My gosh, that's that's a long time. It seems like just not very long at all. Because we're we're still getting to know one another uh, and and still gelling together and things like that, but it's it's been we make good jello, bub. Um, but it's it's an honor. You the the um, what am I trying to say? The the quality of leadership that you have in this church is top tier, top notch. Um, he has brought things into my life. I, our church is a pretty good sized church. I never dreamed it would get to even uh, a fraction of what what it is now. But um, I, I've been, he's been places where I'm going. And I'm, I've been in places where he's going. So with that, we've been able to gel together and, and bring about um, trading off leadership and, and things like that. And it has been an honor to know this man. And I, I, I promise you, that if you are visiting for the first time, you'll want to stay here. You'll want to be a part of this because his leadership and the leadership of his staff, all of, all of everybody who's involved in this church is, is just top tier. And, and I'm, I'm grateful to be here today. So anyways, with that, I'm going to get right into it because I tend to go a little bit long. And I always heard, blessed are the short-winded for they will be invited back. So I would like to be invited back, but I'm going to preach like I'm not going to be invited back, but I'm just going to get into it anyways. That's what my father in the ministry always told me, preach like you're not going to be invited back, so just give it all you got, lay it all on the line, and, but I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that I'll be okay. So um, with that today, I know that you're in a, a brand new series called Renew, and, and my, my prayer for you guys today and my heart for you guys today is that your faith will be renewed today. Your faith in God, your faith in His Word, your faith in what He has for you in this world that He put you on this planet for, that your faith will be renewed. So I'm going to talk about faith today. That's a, that's a, a simple subject, but it is a complex subject, subject as well. 
And so what I want to do is, is bring an aspect of faith to you that will renew your faith, hopefully to recharge you, refire you, get you going again. And uh, even if you didn't know that you needed to get going again, I hope that uh, I hope this message today will uh, will help you out. So with that, I'm going to tell just a little bit of, of my story and, and how that uh, I came to be a Christian. I'm not going to give you the whole, I'm going to give you the abridged version, okay? Uh, I grew up in church. My mom... Uh, gave her life to Jesus when I was about three years old. So um, from that point, she, she drugged me to church every week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we went to church. Until I was about 18, um, I, I finally come to a place where the church that I was in came to, a, came to a place that left a bad taste in my mouth. I don't know if you've ever been there, been a part of a church that went through a split, went through some things, some, some turmoil, that has left a bad taste in your mouth, but I had a bad taste in my mouth at 18. At 18 years old, I, I just walked away from the things of God, the church, all that kind of stuff, and, and just kind of turned my back on some things. But when I was 23 years old, I was in this place, had been, you know, six or seven years, been just playing around in the world, doing what I wanted to do, living how I wanted to live, and, and, and things like that. All the while, my, my, my mom is praying the knees out of her britches, to, to try to get me back into the place where I needed to be, into the place where she knew that I knew was right. And, and at about 23 years old, I'm searching for my identity. I'm, I'm wondering, as a 23-year-old man, I don't know if any of you guys have ever been in that place where you're searching for your identity. I'm trying to find out and figure out my place in this world. And, and I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm kind of doing this cowboy thing and trying to find my identity in that, just... Just being a, a jerk, really, at that point, and just trying to find my place. I'm, I'm, I'm looking for answers to questions I don't even know how to ask. And, I, and I'm, and I'm in, that, in that spot, in that position where I'm searching for answers, and I'm searching everywhere but where I know is to be right. And so I'm doing this cowboy thing, and I'm con- I connected with a guy that I worked with. And, and this um, guy that I worked with was a team roper. He was, <clears throat> excuse me, him, me and him were, um, were, you know, just connected uh, where my interests were, where his interests were. He was building an arena, so I was helping him do that and, and just got really connected with him. The only difference between me and him was that he was a stout Christian man, non-compromising guy, and I was not. I was just kind of fluttering around, but he never shoved the gospel down my throat. He never came at me in that, in that direction all the while maintaining his integrity uh, as a Christian. And so one day, he, we, we were working at the same place at my real job. We were working in the same place. He worked out in the shop. I worked in the office. And he come into my office one day, and he brought a book into my office called Apostle Cowboy Style by a man named Glenn Smith. And he brought this book, and he, he threw it on my desk, slid it across to me, and he says, Darren, I want you to read this book. He says, read this book and tell me what you think. I was kind of like, Apostle Cowboy style, what is, what is this? This is, you know, this is kind of goofy. And I started thumbing through it, and I began to see names of men who I looked up to in the rodeo world, men, men's names that were in here that I, I was like, I, you know, I didn't know that they were a Christian. I didn't know that they had anything to do with Christianity, not because they weren't a good example, it's just that I just didn't know that. And so it intrigued me, this... this this book intrigued me, so I, I took it home. I told him I would read it, and I took it home, 
And I sat down and I read this book in one night. One night from 5 o'clock in the afternoon until 2 o'clock in the morning, I read this book. And, and it was captivating. It captivated who, you know, it captivated who I was. It began to seem like I began to get some answers to some questions that I had been asking or that I didn't even know I'd been asking. And I, and I sat down and read this book. So I, I, I want to just tell you the moment that really changed things for me. Because reading the book in one sitting for an Oklahoma boy could be tough. But I still, I, that, that's not the great thing about what happened. I was reading this book and I got to chapter 9. And chapter 9 in this book began to tell about a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit that took place among the rodeo cowboys and cowgirls in 1978 in Cheyenne, Wyoming. At Cheyenne Frontier Days. 1978, 79, there was a huge outpouring. There were healings. There were miracles, signs, and wonders that began to happen among the rodeo cowboys and cowgirls. And I don't know how familiar you are with rodeo, but that was a big deal. Because back in the 70s, rodeo was a, not a Christian man's sport. But God began to show himself and begin to move among those cowboys and cowgirls. And it was during, you know, I was reading the story about that. And there was one particular man that I had a, a kind of a hero status to, and his name was Roy Duvall. Roy Duvall was 6'3", 245 pounds of man that was a, a steer wrestler. So he would take six to 900-pound steers and throw them on the ground just for fun. And he was known, he had the reputation as a fighter, as a rounder. And you didn't mess with Roy Duvall. He was a three-time world champion steer wrestler. 26 times invited to the, or qualified for the National Finals Rodeo. So this man is a big man. He's a fighter. And, and Glenn, the, the author of this book, was preaching. Now, Glenn was 130 pounds, 5 foot 10. That's how big he was. So he's, he's preaching during this service at Cheyenne Frontier Days, and he looks at the back of the room, and he sees Roy Duvall standing at the back of the room. And Roy's just standing back there glaring at him. He's like, oh no, I've done, made this man mad. So he ends the, ends the service. There was a lot of healings and miracles that took place that night. He ends the service, and all of a sudden, this guy starts walking up the aisle towards Glenn. And he comes up the aisle, and he's a big, monstrous man, and he says, I need to talk to you. Glenn's like, okay. He says, let's go outside. Now, if you're a dude and some other dude asks you to step outside, there is, there is something going to happen. I mean, that's, we know that. We, it's, it's ingrained. In, it's, it's a part of our DNA. We know that when you step outside with another dude in a confrontational attitude, something's going to happen. And here's 245 pounds versus 130. So Glenn says, okay. And he takes off. He goes outside with him. He says he gets outside with Roy. Roy looks at him and says, I'm not asking you to do anything, to ask anything of God for me, but I am asking you, would you please pray for my horse? My horse, the vet told me that he's foundered. He's a world champion horse. He's foundered. If you know what founder is, founder comes up in their feet, and it, uh, it can cause it to dislodge the hoof from the cannon bone, which comes down, and, and it's, it's detrimental. There's no, really no cure for it. And usually they have to put a horse down because of it. And he says, my horse has foundered. The vets told me there is nothing that they can do. 
And he's in a desperate situation. He says, can you pray for my horse? And Glenn says, sure. I'll pray for your horse. Let's go to the barn. So they take off to the barn to get this horse. And as they're walking to the barn, Glenn's praying, oh, God, please help me. Please do something for this horse because this man will kill me if you don't. And so they're on the way to the barn. They get to the barn. Roy goes into the stall, pulls the horse out, and he comes limping out. And once they get into the alleyway, Glenn begins to pray for that horse. And he reaches up and he touches the neck of that horse. And when he does, he said a lightning bolt hits that horse. The power of God hit that horse. The horse jumped up and jumped back. And when he come down on all fours, he was completely and totally healed. And it was at that point that Glenn looks at him and says, Roy, what is keeping you from giving your life completely to Jesus Christ today? And Roy's answer was, just me, I guess. As I'm laying there reading in my bed, reading this book that night, halfway through it, I read that story. And that was my answer to God when he said, what is, what is keeping you from completely giving your life to me tonight? And I said, just me, I guess. Begin to answer some questions, begin to, 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 to bring me into a place where I finish this story and to finish the story out with Roy Duval is that he and Glenn, they put the horse up, they go back to his camper where his wife was, where Roy's wife was. And Roy Duval gave his life to Jesus Christ that night. And to this day, from 1978 to this day, Roy is still serving God, loves Jesus with all his heart. See, God's power coming upon that horse changed a man's life. It was the love of God for a horse that loved him through the horse to get this man to come to Christ. That's where I read that story. And when I finished that story, I did whatever good Baptist little boy does that I knew to do is to get down beside my bed and give my life back to Jesus that night. The cool thing was, is I, it changed my life that night. That story changed my life. I finished the book that night and, and went on to, to, to get to go home or to get to go back to work and, and tell the man that gave me the book what happened in my life. But that started my faith journey. And I tell you that to, to hopefully that story is not too long to, to get in because that's just my introduction. I'm, I, I got a message to do now. But the, the, the fact of the matter is, is that started my faith journey. It was from right there. I, I tried to go back to my old church and going, trying to go back to my old church, I couldn't do it. I, I got there, and it just wasn't gelling with me. And so I, I found a church that did gel with me. It was a church that it was, it was more charismatic. I come out of a Baptist, free will Baptist church into a charismatic church, and they were talking about faith. They were preaching on faith. I began to be spiritually led by men like, and you may know these men, you may like them, not like them, whatever, but, but they began to feed my spirit as a young man in, in the Lord, was uh, men like Kenneth Copeland, Kenneth Hagen, Charles Capps, Jerry Savelle, some of those guys that always, that, that, that's what was, was their ministry is to continue to talk about faith. And it began to build faith on the inside of me. So um, then my pastor, Willie George, I don't know if y'all remember 80s and 90s TBN, there was a, a show for kids called Gospel Bill. That was my pastor. Gospel Bill was my pastor, but he didn't play Gospel Bill as being my pastor. So it's kind of, kind, of, kind of cool. But anyways, they begin to speak faith and minister faith into my life. 
then the cool thing was is that Glenn Smith, the book, the author of the book that changed my life, became my mentor and my spiritual father. And he began to speak faith and grow me in the things of faith. And, and through that, kept me going. And, and, you know, there's so many different aspects of faith that I could preach to you about tonight or today. That, that there's so many different aspects that I grew up on, that I cut my teeth on. But I wanted to speak to you today about the vehicle of faith. Faith as a vehicle. And, and with that, you know, when somebody asks you, what faith are you? You know, faith is usually thrown around in that, in that aspect. Um, what faith are you? And so many times we will say, well, we're, we're of the Christian faith or we're, you know, I know nobody, probably nobody in here is of the Muslim faith or the Hindu or the Buddhist faith. But th- those are all uh, different faiths that people are asking that question. What faith are you? Or if you're a Christian, they say, what faith are you? You, you know, they're asking, are you Baptist? Are you Methodist? Are you Episcopalian? Are you charismatic? Are you de- non-denominational, multi-denominational, interdenominational? You know, it just goes off the chain. And so they're asking, what faith are you? But faith has a mechanic in every one of those things. But true faith, if you get down to the simplicity of what true faith is, true faith is trust in and reliance upon a, 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 you know, something that is beyond our scope of experience or reality. Was that simple enough? Trust in and reliance upon something that is beyond our scope of experience or reality. It's having, it's, it's where belief comes into play. It's how our belief system is shaped in our life. It's why we believe, how we believe. It, it becomes the belief filter of who we are. It is true believing. So as a Christian, if you consider yourself a Christian, then you became a Christian because you believed, you trusted in, you relied upon This gospel message that Jesus Christ went to the cross, died on that cross, was resurrected from the dead. And when you believe that and put your trust in that, the Bible says you become born again. You become a Christ follower. You become a Christian because you weren't there 2,000 years ago. But you're believing in an experience, an event that happened 2,000 years ago. And when you trust in that, all of a sudden... It causes something on the inside to happen, and you become a Christian. That's faith. That's where faith begins for us. See, in Ephesians chapter 2, and I'm going to give all my scriptures today from the New King James Version just because I'm old school sometimes. And I, I, I like that because I can remember where stuff falls on the page. You know what I mean? You ever have a good Bible that you just know, you know, you hate to change Bibles because... You don't know where it's going to fall. So anyway, all right, I'm going to move on. Some of you all looking at me like a calf at a new gate. You don't know where to go through. Or... In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, but it is a gift of God. Right? We are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by grace. Saved by grace. What is... What does that mean? There there is a grace that God has in heaven. 
You know, it says, the Bible says that he sits on the throne of grace, that we can come boldly to the throne of grace. Grace is a heavenly thing. It's, grace is not something that flows naturally through this earth. It is a heavenly thing. And we are saved by grace. Grace is there, and we need to get it here. And he says, you are saved by grace when you believe through faith. Faith becomes the vehicle that brings the gospel, the word of God, that has grace in it, into your life. Does that make sense? Faith becomes the vehicle. It becomes the transportation of grace or transportation of anything that you need from God. It becomes the transportation that brings from heaven into this earth. Remember when Jesus prayed the, what we call the Lord's Prayer? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on... Three of you know that? On earth as it is in heaven. Exactly. And it's the vehicle that brings that into our earth. And so when, when, when we think about that, aren't you, aren't you thankful for your car? Who all has cars? Who got here by car? Oh, good deal. Aren't you thankful for your car? I'm thankful for my car. I believe with all my heart that there are empty seats. If you look around and see the empty seats, that they should be full. But there's some people that are not filling those seats. They want to fill those seats, but they don't have transportation to get to church project. I believe with all my heart, there's people in this community that have heard about church project. They want to come, but because they don't have a vehicle and they live too far away, they can't get here because they don't have transportation. In the same fashion, our faith is that way. It's like a car. It's, a, it's, it's like a vehicle. Our everyday destinations re- rely upon a vehicle. Well, our faith destinations rely upon a vehicle. Our faith destinations. You know, the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, it says that we on this journey go from glory to glory. In the Hebrew, that is a continual, or in the Greek, that is a continual action. So it's not just from one glory to the second glory. It's from glory to glory to glory to glory. Our Christian journey is about going from glory to glory. Faith to faith. And we need a vehicle to take us from glory to glory. See, the promises of God in His Word, salvation, healing, financial security, relationship help, Every promise, everything that you would ever need in this life, there is a promise in the Bible for that. But the promise that's in the Bible for that is in heaven. And we need to bring heaven into this earth. It was Jesus' desire to bring heaven into this earth. It should be our desire to bring heaven into this earth. And when it's our desire to bring heaven into this earth, we need a vehicle to transport it from heaven to earth. And that vehicle is faith. It's that way for you. It's that way for me. It's that way for Aaron. It's that way for Jeremy. It's that way for Glenn Smith. And it was that way for Jesus. So that's my introduction. I'm hurrying, I promise you. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to go and see some Scripture with me. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have your Bible app or whatever... 
Go to, go to John, John's Gospel, chapter 2. And I just want to share some really quick, a quick story that I know that you guys have heard, but I want to, I want to bring some aspect to it that, uh, that's really cool. <clears throat> In John, chapter 2, I want to give you a little um, lead up to what's going on here in John chapter 2. John chapter 2, Jesus Christ is 30 years old. He just, he's turned 30 not too long, uh, not too long ago, and, and now he is in a place here in his 30th year of, of life on this planet. He has now entered into ministry. He's been baptized by John the Baptist, and he's entered into ministry. He's been in ministry. When this story that I'm going to talk about happens, he's been in ministry for one week. One week, and you got a story in the Bible. The only thing that Jesus has done up to this point in, in full-time ministry is pick his ministry team. And how he did that, I don't know. I mean, to pick my ministry teams, it, it, takes, me, it takes me years of seeing somebody. But Jesus just walks up to walk up to, to guys and says, hey, come and follow me. And they drop their inheritance. They drop their careers. They drop everything and say, okay. And they just take off and follow him. They don't know why they're following him. He just, you know, he's done nothing up to this point. He's just been baptized. And he's, hey, I'm in full-time ministry. Usually when I say that to somebody, they say, whoa, I'm staying away from you. But the fact of the matter is, is Jesus has been in full-time ministry for a week. And during this time... Jesus, his family, and his ministry team have been invited to a wedding reception. Many of you know this story. Even people that have never been to church before have heard this story. And they've been invited to a wedding reception. And right in the middle of the wedding reception, if you know the story, they run out of wine. They run out of wine, which is, it was a Jewish tradition to have wine there. So that was a part of their, their traditional uh, celebration. And so they run out of wine. And that's where we're going to pick up the story. In verse 3, John 2, verse 3, it says, And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus, who we know to be Mary, said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, woman, what does that, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now, what we got to understand here is I always thought that Jesus was being sassy to his mama. I thought he was kind of being dishonorable to her. You know, woman, what does that have to do with me? But really, if you go and look at the Greek of this, that, that, that word, that Greek word that translates into woman, doesn't, that's not the emphasis that was used, that Jesus used. He was really respectful and honorable to his mom. Really, a better translation of that word would be mama. He said mama. He says, mama. You know, if I said woman to my mom, she's, she's in her mid-70s. I'm 47. She's in her mid-70s. She would still to this day slap my jaws. If I said woman, outside of a joking situation, if I said woman, mm-hmm. Yeah. My, dad said, my dad told me one time, he said, there is one thing that you never want to do in this life, son. I said, what's that? He says, fight your mama because your mama is bad. Don't ever, don't ever get in a fight with her because she will whip you. But, but Jesus said, Mama, what, 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 is this, what does this wine thing concern me about? And, and in other words, Mom, why are you putting me on the spot? Why, why are you putting me out here? Don't, don't you parents love to put your kids on the spot? Does he ever put you on the spot in front of people? Yeah. I just put you on the spot in front of people, didn't I? Anyways, 
you know, I love putting my kids on the spot. My kids are funny. I have a boy that's 15 and a girl that's 13, and they are hilarious. I love to get them, you know, in the house. They do crazy things, just off-the-wall things. And then I get them in front of people and say, hey, do that thing that you did the other night. And they're like, dad, woman, you know, <laughs> dad, I, you know, you're putting me on the spot. This is Jesus' attitude here. He says, mom, you're, you're, you're putting me on the spot. My hour has not come. What, is, what does that mean? My hour has not come. We know what that means, but then what did that mean? Mary knew Jesus. She knew him. She had spent 30 years raising him. She knew his attitude. She knew his integrity. She knew his honor. As a matter of fact, when the angel showed up to, before she conceived him, the angel showed up and told her what an awesome, great man he would be. Then as she conceived and she was pregnant, people would, would prophesy over her pregnancy and say what a great, awesome person that he would be. When he was born, they took him to the temple at eight days old. And there were two, an older man and an older woman that began to prophesy the greatness of what he would do and who he would become. She watched him grow, the Bible says, in wisdom and in stature. In other words, as he grew up and matured, Wisdom just got stronger on the inside of him. She knew his wisdom. She watched him listen to the voice of God during his childhood. She, she, she watched him be obedient to the word of God and, do, and, and never mess up. How would you like to be James? James would be, you know, why can't you be like your brother? You know, mama would say, James, why can't you be like, you know, why can't you be like Jesus, you know? That'd be a hard act to follow. So she knew him. She knew what he was, was capable of. She knew the wisdom that was on the inside of him. I, didn't, I don't think she was looking for a miracle that day. They ran out of wine. Won't you turn something into wine? No, she wasn't looking for a miracle. She was looking for wisdom. She was looking for wisdom. She was saying, look, Jesus has wisdom. And how many of you know that people with wisdom know how to solve problems? I love hanging out with this dude because he's got wisdom. Wisdom beyond his years. And he, he has spoken wisdom into my life and helped me solve problems that I didn't know how to get out of. So thank you for that. Growing in wisdom and stature, you Jesus dude. But, but see, I, I don't believe that she was expecting a miracle. She was just looking for wisdom. And it goes on here in verse 5, and it says, His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Wow. Mary did not even listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, Mama, why are you putting me on the spot? You know, it's not my time. And she says, Talk to the hand because I'm talking to the servants. And she looks at the servants and she says, Whatever he says, do it. All right. I don't know what else to do. Right here started his journey of faith. I, I believe that he, he knew faith along the way, but really now the journey, the vehicle of faith now has to be something a part of his life. And this is where the vehicle pulls into the garage of Jesus at this point. Or maybe out of the garage and on the street. Maybe that would be, be a better analogy. It goes on here in verse 6 and says, now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, 
servants, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them to the brim. Now, these water pots were, were water pots of purification. In other words, when, when a party went on or even coming into a Jewish household, they had a pot of water there, and they would dip out of that water and they would take it to a basin and they would wash their hands before they entered into the house, sometimes even wash their feet before they entered into a house. So it was a, it was a traditional purification process before they entered into a place, a house or a place of event, uh, a celebration like what they were at. So they had about 180 gallons of water that were there. That's how many guests they had is that they, they emptied those pots. Those pots were sitting there empty. And Jesus' wisdom takes over. Now, this don't make any sense at all. Jesus looks over and sees the pots sitting there. And he says, go fill them. And the servants take the pots and they go. Now, listen, they didn't have running water inside. They have to take those pots somewhere and fill them, probably at a well somewhere. Could have taken them an hour or two to fill those pots. But they went out and began to fill pots. Maybe... You know, 150 to 180 gallons of water they begin to pour into those pots. This took a lot of work because they had to transport them down and then they had, to, they had to cart 180 gallons of water back to the deal. There wasn't no more guests coming. They had all the guests that they needed. They had all the water. Everything was good. This was just weird to these servants. I believe that with all my heart, that they didn't know what to do. But see, this is what I want to tell you, is a miracle is a miracle. Jesus didn't need water to turn it into wine. He could have just went over there and laid his hands on the pot and said, in the name of me, I command you, air, to be made wine. I don't even know if Jesus knew what was going on. He just heard wisdom to tell the servants, whatever he says, do it. And he told them what to do. Then they, they get back. And, and, and he, asked, he asked them to do this task. And, and, and when they come back, uh, you know, if you have a car, just because you have a car doesn't mean you can get to a destination. I mean, it can be in your garage, it can be in your driveway, but just because you have one doesn't mean it can take you to your destination. Because you've got to have something. That vehicle has to have something. It has to have fuel to get you to your destination. If you don't have fuel, you ain't going nowhere. Roll out the driveway and that's about as far as you go. Then you're heel-toeing it everywhere else. Yeah. Some of you all look like you've been in that position. But the vehicle of faith is the same. The vehicle of faith has to have fuel to transport what you need. See, God, God has heavenly answers to your earthly problems. And to get the answers, the heavenly answers, you have to have that vehicle of faith. It doesn't happen just because you think it's a great idea. You may read that by His stripes you are healed in the Word of God. You may read that He bore your sicknesses and carried your, uh, bore your diseases, carried your sicknesses, things like that. You, you hear those things. Those are, that's a great idea. But our vehicle of faith to get us here from there to here comes about with fuel. You've got to have fuel. So that's what I'm going to tell you about the fuel today. How many of you want the goodness of God in your life? Yeah, three of you? No, okay, everybody else. We all want the goodness of God in our life, right? 
We, we want God's goodness in our life. And, and in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. What is the good of the land? The good of the land is what God has in heaven brought into our lives. If we want to eat what God, the good of the land that God has, then we have to get it into our lives in order for us to eat of it. And in that, what I have found is that being willing and obedient is the fuel that runs the vehicle of faith. To be willing and obedient. The word willing in the Hebrew means to yield or to surrender. And I like this one, give up the struggle. To be willing means to give up the struggle. Can you imagine the dialogue that went on in the heads of these servants as Jesus says, go fill those water pots? This guy's crazy. Who is this guy telling me? I know his mama said what she said, and we're going to do what he does, but I don't understand it. What does this have to do with wine? What, this, now we got to work. Now we got to do something. How many times have we, when we are looking for the goodness of God, stalled out God's promises because we didn't understand what he was telling us to do? But we stalled it out because we wouldn't yield. We wouldn't surrender. We wouldn't give up the struggle. I think about these, these guys and how willingness is an attitude. Willingness is attitude. Then it says to be willing and obedient. The Hebrew word for obedient means to hear and comply with the order. To hear and comply with what's being said. How many of us parents just want sometimes our kids just to hear and comply? To hear and comply. You know, I tell my kids, go clean your room. Why? How come? Because I said so. Great parenting, 101. Yeah, that's not great parenting. But still, that's what we as parents do. Because I said so. We just want you to hear and comply. I don't care what else you do. Hear what I'm saying and do it. See, obedience is action. And he's saying here that if we want to eat the goodness of what God has, we've got to have our attitude and our action together. See, there's an and in there. There's a conjunction it has to be both. You can't have one or the other. It's like a two-cycle like two engine. Some of, you, some of you men know what I'm talking about because your weed eater at home has a two-cycle engine. You, you, it, it, what it takes to run this thing is you've got to have gasoline and oil. In Oklahoma, we call it oil. Gas and oil. And when you, and when you, you have to mix the two together and put it in the tank to make a two-cycle run. If you try to put oil, oil in the tank and make it run on oil, it's not going to start. If you put just straight gasoline in a two-cycle engine, it will start, but it will seize. And it won't, it, it, you'll break it. You have to have gas and oil together in order for it to run. To run your vehicle of faith, it's a two-cycle motor. You've got to have willing and obedient you got to have attitude and action to make this run. Y'all doing okay? 
See, it's the combination of those two. And this is what happens when you combine willing and obedient. Look at verse 8 in John 2. It says, And he said to them, Jesus said to them servants, He says, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. They knew where it came from because they drew it. And the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning, of, uh, at, at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have well drunk, or are well drunk, anyways, I just thought I'd throw that in there, then the inferior wine, but you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. These guys that didn't know why they were following, but they were following, all of a sudden their faith came in in this journey. Their faith journey began. Here's what I want you to see. Is that God can do all this faith stuff without us. If God wanted, let me, let me just say this. If God wanted to, he could give us what we need from heaven into our earthly problem. He could give that to us without a, with, with, he knows everything that we need, right? He could give it without even us asking or doing or being willing and obedient. But the fact of the matter is, is that God is so good to his people is that he says, come here. I want you to be a part of the process. I, want, I love you guys so much. I don't just want to give to you. I want you to be a part of this vehicle moving back and forth between heaven and earth. I want you to be a part of the process. God wants to partner with us. God wants to be a part of our lives. And he wants us to be a part of his life. And I found that out one night reading the story of Roy Duvall. And Glenn Smith. I I saw that Glenn was willing and obedient to step outside with this guy that could clean his clock. He was willing and obedient. And when he was willing and obedient to step outside and pray for that horse, the power of God moved into that horse and it brought a man to salvation. In the reading of the story of Jesus here, what we see is the servants that are willing and obedient to do what Jesus' mom told them to do when he said what he said. They were willing and obedient. Even though they didn't understand it, they were willing and obedient. And when they did, the power of God came, a heavenly solution to an earthly problem, and changed that water into wine, the best wine. And it led to servants beginning their, or not servants, probably the servants began their faith journey, but those disciples began their faith journey with Jesus. See, that is what started my journey of faith. And that is why my faith is renewed from day to day for 24 years. My faith has been renewed by these very principles, these very concepts to know that heaven, whatever's in heaven, whatever I need that's in heaven can be brought into this earth by the vehicle of faith. If I'm willing 
obedient. See, what I found out early on in my, in my Christian journey is that Jesus is the Word of God. You know, in, in all my time in the church that I grew up in, I never really, maybe they said it, but I really didn't get it. But I got it at 23 years old. I finally got that Jesus is the Word of God. And every day when I face situations, every day when I open my Bible, every day when I get into the Word of God and begin to study and to, to get in and, and hear what God has to say, I hear Mary's voice. Whatever He says. And if I'm willing and obedient, then every time I need something, that promise, I know that God wants to be a part of my life. For you today to renew is to be willing and obedient. <laughs> willing and obedient will bring... For an extra offering, I'll tell you how to do that. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) To be willing and obedient will bring heavenly solutions into our earthly problems. It brings, it starts and runs and makes the vehicle of faith travel between heaven and earth. So this is what I want to tell you. Imagine what it would be like for you today. That if you were willing to hear what God is speaking to you about your circumstances, your situations, your earthly problems, and how God wants to be a part and He wants to partner with you, and for you just to take Him at His word. Here's how it works. Here's how faith works. If you consider yourself a Christian and you had... You had believed that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was resurrected from the dead. You believe in that event and you put your trust and reliance in that. You are a Christian. The same way you got your salvation is the same way you get healing. It's the same way that you get financial security. It's the same way that you get relationship security. It's the same way. It's that simple faith. God doesn't doesn't transform your faith into different forms of faith. It's always the same to be willing and obedient. Maybe you're sitting here today and you say, well, you know, I've been praying to God for for financial miracle, for financial increase in my life. I'm I'm really hurting financially. And, And maybe you heard God say, you know, maybe if you give a little bit more, Maybe if you start tithing, I don't, I don't know. God's word comes to life. Maybe, maybe if you do that and you've been struggling with what is the, I need financial stuff. I don't need to give financial stuff. I don't have financial stuff to give. So how can I? And God is saying, trust me. Maybe it's healing. Maybe it's relationship deals. Whatever the case may be, it will always make you struggle. And he says, give up the struggle. Be willing and obedient, and you watch that vehicle of faith move into the throne of grace and bring grace into your life. It's that that moves your vehicle of faith from heaven to earth. I want to pray over you guys before we get out of here. And as I pray over you guys, I want you to 
for some of you, maybe not all of you, but for some of you on the inside, when I talked about being willing and obedient, you went, oh, that's me. I know what God's been telling me to do, but I've been struggling with it. I haven't wanted to surrender. I haven't wanted to yield. Or maybe the obedience part, you've been like, I ain't moving on that. God is saying, if you'll just hear me and comply. That, when I said that, it just kind of nicked you in the heart just a bit. Well, if that's you today, that when I pray, I want you to just ask God to forgive you. It's not, it's not, about, it's, it's, it's not about you having to do something great and grand in order to get God to like you enough to forgive you of that. It's simply being willing and obedient to say, God, forgive me. I recognize that, and I, I need your forgiveness. So if that's you today, and you, you felt that, not everybody felt that, but if you felt that, act on it. Get your attitude right and act on it. I'm going to pray for you, and then I'm going to turn it over to Aaron, but I just believe with all my heart that there is a renewal happening in this place. There is a renewal happening. It's, it, oh, just accept it, receive it. Heavenly Father, thank you for Church Project. I thank you for each and every person that's here, whether it's their first time, whether they're visiting from time to time, or whether they're regulars here, that today this message has spoken into their hearts. And God, as you have nicked their hearts, it's, it's not about nicking it to wound them. It's about nicking it to say, you need me and I need you and I want to partner with you. Would you be willing and obedient to do what I've already told you? Or would you be willing and obedient to do what I'm telling you today? God wants to get a heavenly solution into your earthly problem. He wants to turn your water into wine. First, you've got to fill the pots. You've got to fill the pots and you've got to dip out of the pots and you've got to take it to the master of ceremonies. God's wanting to meet you right where you're at. Heavenly Father, I pray right now over this church, if there's anybody here that's never began their journey and asked Jesus to come into their heart, that right now that they would believe that event, the gospel of that event, the good news that Jesus did 2,000 years ago by dying on that cross, being resurrected from the dead, that when they believe that, God, they will be born again. Father, I pray for those that need to be healed, that, God, they would reach into the heavenlies, the throne of grace. They'd be willing and obedient to run that faith into their life. And, God, I pray that today that would change. Their health would change. Their financial security would change. Their relationships would change. God, this day, I proclaim it. We are putting a stake in the ground and we are living by faith. We are renewed by faith and being willing and obedient to do what your word says. That when you say whatever you say, we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.